like, all right, wonder where he's going with this one. So you probably saw the title of today's sermon is a proverb for petty people. And so it is going to be an interesting sermon um, in that, obviously, petty is not a word that we necessarily see in the Bible, but we learn about what pettiness can be through Scripture. I think that's a reality. And so we are talking about, like, petty people. Whatever you think about when you think of the pettiest person you know. And I'm saying this as a self-acknowledged petty person, all right? Now, I want to go ahead and admit that before we begin, um, that I am, you know, I tend to be a little bit petty. And so this scripture is especially going to be hard for me to wrestle with and accept because I did feel as I was preparing the sermon this week that it was really speaking at me, talking to me. And so one thing that we have to remember before we get started is that these are proverbs, right? These are things, practical wisdom that are there who to be used for us to, to learn and to know and to grow. These are principles of life that are laying the foundation for who we are in Christ. And so we may not feel like it, we may not even acknowledge it, but many of us in this room have a petty problem. You may know it and may not think that it's a problem, but if you struggle with pettiness, it is a problem, people. And so the reason we're using a word like petty and not something more churchy like malicious is because I think most people, if you talk about maliciousness, would say, I'm not a malicious person, but you probably are petty. You probably do little things that bother people up. So I think petty is the best word. And it tends to be in how we get back at each other. I think that's, that's usually the way we need to look at it. When people have done us wrong or when we have seen them do wrong things to other people, it is our desire to be that source of justice, to get retribution on that person. Even if we're not open about it, many of us hide that desire to see them struggle in our hearts. We don't let anyone know our hearts, but there is this secret joy when the people we don't like don't do all that well. But today we're going to learn why feeling like this is not only unbiblical, but it is also detrimental to us spiritually. It's detrimental to us mentally and emotionally. And so we're going to be in very, some very brief verses in Proverbs 24, and we're going to go all the way down to that 17th verse. Proverbs 24 down to that 17th verse, and we're only going to read to verse 20. So Proverbs 24, 17. He writes, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to hear the word, as we get ready to digest the word, God, help us realize our own struggles. God, even if they don't seem as prevalent to us, even if it's those things and those feelings, those thoughts that we have about other people that we sweep under the rug and we smile and in their face and we're we're nice and cordial, God, but you know the heart. You know, God, what we struggle with. So, 
It is my prayer that as we hear the word today, that you will reveal us to us, show us where we're struggling, and help us trust in you. Help us not feel pettiness towards the people around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's start by acknowledging something here right off. You'll notice that the word enemy is used, and I think the word enemy for most of us is probably a little too strong, right? Most of us are not thinking about people when we're frustrated that we're outright enemies with. I mean, some of these people may be family members that we just dislike. We're not necessarily enemies with them. Um, friends that we may not even prefer like we prefer other people. They're not enemies. And so maybe the word enemy is too strong. So I know some people say, oh, I ain't got no enemies, so this does not include me. But it it probably does include you. And I actually think that's kind of the, the danger in that pettiness that we feel is that it's not often felt towards people that we hate or we dislike. A lot of times it's people that we actually love and care about but have a hard time dealing with their ways. And so sometimes when they go through certain things, if we feel a certain type of way about them, it is not this public boast, but we are privately excited that they are struggling. Yes, God, knock them down a peg. Let them be humble. Let them be more likable so that I can like them a little bit better. And so I I don't think most of us, when we think about this, we're not really thinking about our enemies. Some of us probably are. Some of us probably do have people that we do not like and we know don't like us, but the reality is is that most of this is going to be for people that we actually do deal with and tolerate. And so it makes me think about more than anything, you know, this is what we feel when we don't think people have gotten what they deserve in terms of justice, in terms of punishment. And we've seen people who have done wrong and it seems like everybody else gets the punishment except this person. And it really makes me think about some of the things that we've thought or even felt towards people, some churchy things that we've even communicated before. God don't like Eglin. You gonna get yours. You reap what you sow. My favorite one, it's just not biblical, but it's just until you do right by me. It's my favorite. The mantra is that My peace is coming from the idea that you're going to get exactly what you deserve. That's the the whole principle. I will not have peace until you don't have peace. When you don't have peace, then I'll be at peace. When you feel what I felt, then I will feel better. And so this is is the question, right? And we've got to ask this and we've got to wrestle with this. Should we find peace in the downfall of people who've wronged us? That's a real question, y'all. Should we find peace in the downfall of people who've wronged us? And I'm asking that for you, but I'm asking that for myself because that's a, it's a struggle, man. Like, it's a real struggle. I mean, we even remember in the Psalms when David is talking and praying and saying in those times where he says, vindicate me, O Lord, or he prays for justice. He prays that the Lord will deal with his enemy. He prays that the Lord will handle him and handle his enemy swiftly. He prayed for justice for his foes and that God would avenge him. 
So is that any different here than what David prayed? Well, yeah. I think it is different. There is a big difference, y'all, in us wanting justice for wrong and then rejoicing in it. There's a big difference in wanting God to even out the scales of justice and then rejoicing in the fact that that justice has happened. And so we have to think about this. Why do we struggle with wanting justice and being proud in it? Why shouldn't we boast in people getting what they deserve? And the first thing that we need to think about in understanding that is very simple. It's a theme that we'll hear over the next few weeks. We are not God. Okay? All of us have this little bit of God complex that we really have got to, to wrestle with and, and reveal and, and, and extinguish. We are not God. God alone rejoices in making wrongs right because of this. Because in him there is no wrong. He has no wrongs. So he can perfectly assess and administer justice. He is perfectly just and perfectly righteous at all times. And he alone can make wrongs Right. Only God can do that. And if only God can do that, and if God doesn't even rejoice when an adversary falls, if even God doesn't rejoice when an adversary fails and falls short, then how can we? If God, who is perfect and just and righteous, is not proud when the enemy falls, why would I be proud? When someone falls, y'all, it is a reminder that our sins, that our actions have consequences. But that it should also remind us that we deserve to fall as well. Every single one of us, the wrath we want on everybody else should be on us. The justice that we think everybody else deserves for their thoughts and their actions and their behaviors, well, you better look at yourself first because you deserve it as well. And it points out the fact that maybe we look at the world through a warped and sinful view. If I believe about myself that I am this good, this righteous person who always has clear intentions and pure motives, then that means that anything that happens to me that I do not agree with automatically is an injustice. It means anything that happens to me that I do not agree with is evil. It is wrong. It is wicked. Because I think that my intentions are always good, always righteous, always just, and always pure. And if you don't align yourself up with the way that I think, because I think so highly of myself, that means that you are the enemy. But there is one person who exists that can say that anytime you go against what I think, that is evil, and that is God. That is God. And so that means that maybe not everything that I feel, not everything that happened that I justly feel, 
So my question is, who do we think that we are? None of us in this room is in the position to be able to justly feel proud about someone else falling because of our own sin guilt. And the Bible, by the way, is full of warnings about this. It says, let you who thinks that he stands take heed unless you fall. The same thing that you're proud of somebody else failing to, you better take heed. You better watch and you better listen unless you fall into the same thing that they fell into. That's what it's warning us of here. That it is so much easier to be guilty of the sins that other people have done and judge them as if you are susceptible to sin as well. So pray for others when they fall in sin that that same sin may not trip you up. Y'all, as we are slowly growing closer to the Lord, the image of who we think we are should shrink as it becomes clearer. And the cross should grow in our eyes. This means that when I see an adversary fall or just someone I think doesn't see as clearly as they should, the thought should not be, ah, good for them. It should be, whatever happened to them, It should have happened to me. It could have happened to me. It would have happened to me. Except for the grace of God, it isn't me. Yet. And by the grace of God, it never will be. How can I say that anyone deserves punishment for their wrongs and not acknowledge that my prayer is that the Lord will forgive me of my own wrongs? It is... It's just like when I have, I've had friends who didn't have kids. And, you know, people who don't have kids, especially when they think they know about kids who don't have kids, they always got the best wrong advice, right? And it's always like, if, if I had, mine would never, or I would make mine. And, you know, for those of us who are paying, you always like, all right, okay. And then those friends who didn't have kids have kids, and everything they said they wouldn't do, they do. And everything they said they would do, they don't do none of it. And I would be lying if I said I don't sit back and have just a little glimmer of peace watching those same folks struggle with them kids that they said they was going to make do and make mine. Because the reality is, is it's so easy to say what you would do when you ain't done it. But why do I have grace? Why do I have mercy? Because I remember when I didn't have kids, I had all the advice in the world for everybody else. And likewise, I had my own, and I realized them kids don't care nothing about your advice. They're going to do what they want to do. And yes, there are things that we should do, things that we have to do, but you also realize there's a grace that happens in everything that you do. I need grace, therefore I offer grace. Not just because I'm this benevolent person who thinks that he can administer grace. 
It's because I remember when I lacked wisdom in that area as well. And when I said all these things, I needed people to have grace on me as well. And so it, it means that not only do we have to experience, but many of the things that God may be putting other people through is so that they will learn. It's so that the things that you want them to learn, that they will actually get it. We don't just want to see an enemy or an evildoer go through things because they did wrong, but that it would bring about change, that it would bring about repentance. That's the hope. And so it means that we don't that we gave the chance to ask them, do you want repentance? Do you want to change? Do you want to get better? As opposed to standing there and judging them. And so that brings us up to. I think a very relevant next question. Do I even want my enemies to repent? Do I even want them to change? Do I even want them to turn from those behaviors? Now, I know immediately you're probably thinking, yes, of course. Yeah, I want everybody who has done me wrong to apologize. That's not repentance, okay? Anybody can say I'm sorry, but I'm talking about repentance. Do we actually want real, true repentance? What is real repentance? Repentance is that complete change of course, that complete change of behavior in a person. So the question is, do you actually want that? Because if I'm being honest and being the realist that I am, Some of us have so little going on in our lives that the fact that we can be mad at that one person makes our lives just a little less miserable. Or we also know the reality of what repentance is. That if they repent, that God is going to forgive them. Y'all, it is no different than when Jonah is in Nineveh. And God keeps telling him, go preach to those people. And he does. And you know what he said? He said everything that we are. He said, I didn't want to go because I knew if I preached to them, they would repent. Because I know you're a merciful God. Can you imagine being so bound up with resentment and hate? That you don't even want to tell somebody the truth because you know there's a chance God might forgive them. Maybe petty ain't a strong enough word. Maybe if some of us are being honest, we really just want God to get them and punish them. Because if Most of us know the gospel like we say we know the gospel. We know what repentance and forgiveness means. It means that God put his son on the cross and bore our sins and that I now escape the wrath of God because of Jesus. And that's fine for me, but that's not fine for the person I'm mad at. I don't want them to escape the wrath of God. It reminds me of this video uh, with these two people who had gotten into a road rage altercation. And once the officer arrived to kind of sort it out, he went to the woman who was involved and said, listen, ma'am, 
based on what I've been told, you deserve to be cited, but I'm going to go ahead and let you go without a warning, uh, with just a warning. Upon doing that, um, he's like, I'm going to write you this little warning citation. I just want you to kind of exit the scene. I'm going to go talk to the other gentleman over here. And as he was doing that, the woman um, watched him walk over to the other gentleman, and she smirked, believing that this man would actually get cited for his participation in the road rage. And after a few moments, she saw the other gentleman pull off, and she was confused about what was actually happening, so she waved the officer back down and said, hey, um, how hard did you get him? Because he didn't seem to be that upset about it. And the officer said, well, I don't know why he would be upset about just getting a warning. And she goes, a warning? Why did he only get a warning? And the officer said, because I let both of you off so that you could both learn a lesson. And she said, but I learned mine. I just don't think he's going to learn his. This is how most of us work, y'all. We want to be let off. We want the grace, we want the mercy, but we don't want it for anybody else but us. This is very often how we as petty people feel. What is good for me is not good for others. So we don't actually want other people to change and repent. We want them to be punished. But grace ain't just for you. And notice that it says here, don't let your heart be glad when another stumbles. Here we go talking about the heart again. You may be able to put the right words together. You might be able to counsel people. You may even be able to fix yourself to pray for them. But if in your heart you are pleased with the fact that they are struggling, don't you think for one second the Lord doesn't know about it? Because he does. This past week, somebody that I've had a contentious relationship with recently. I don't know if they know it. You ever been contentious with somebody and you're the only person contentious? That's been me. And they came and they asked me to pray for them because there was something going on in their family. And I remember there's this humbling moment, right? When somebody who you're not on great terms with needs prayer from you. And there's this point where I'm being honest. It's like, you really think I'm going to pray for you? And then I came home and I told Chris, I was like, hey, I just want to go ahead and let you know this person asked me for prayer. And I'm asking her to hold me accountable. Because she knows the dynamic. She knows the frustration. But above all things, if that person needs prayer, if that person's been going through something, if that person's been struggling, I have an obligation as a believer, as a Christian, to set myself aside, to commit to do what isn't easy for me to do, if I'm being honest. That's about how I sound when I'm praying for that person, too. I just I really want to let it go. But this is probably where most of us have struggled, y'all. This is probably where most of my guilt has stayed in my heart. It has a room in a motel inside my heart that I'm banking that no one would ever know, that no one would ever see that I'm harboring such resentment against people. 
But this is the reality that we all have to acknowledge is that God knows it. He knows when I'm hoping someone I don't like falls or gets embarrassed or gets exposed. So how do we get to the root of what causes us to feel that way? And this is the real pastoral wisdom for you, okay? So like, this is really me telling you, this is how we get to the root and know what is going on with us. And I'll try to give it to you in as practical a way as possible. When things are going well in your life, when things are going the way that you want, when you're flourishing, you're thriving, your bills are paid, your relationships are healthy, spiritually and socially, you are on top of the world. To be honest, you don't really think about other people in their wrongs. You don't even think about, at that point, the people who have wronged you because, hey, things are good. For me, things are great right now. I'm enjoying life. I'm content. I couldn't ask for more. You don't even think about the people who don't like you or who said something negative about you. You're honestly too busy being happy. And as difficult as this is, to admit at least, all of our pettiness, all of our hope for the downfall of others, it is rooted in discontentment. Some of us are so discontented with the lives that we live that the only thing that gives us hope or that peace we talked about earlier is seeing that at least somebody is more miserable than me. So, I mean, really, some of us are so unhappy, the cliche is true. I might be miserable, but I want some company in my misery specifically in the people that I do not like. And so it is rooted for us in envy, it is rooted in jealousy, and it's rooted in spite. No, we don't want to believe that that's what's going on with us, but that is the case. This pleasure in your own life will find pleasure in the downfall of others. And we know why. We want other people to be as miserable and as unhappy as we are. I can feel better about myself when I know that the people I don't like aren't doing all that well. But y'all, that is anti-Christian. There have been churches, or at least one church that I served at before we planted, and I remember like just not being handled or, de- or done well by uh, the pastor and his wife, right? And I remember like how harmful and hurtful that was. And I remember watching their services, thinking, all right, when I leave, the church going to go down. They're going to be struggling. Baby, they thriving over there. I don't know what's worse. Seeing a person that you want not to do well to actually not do well and realize you don't feel any better or see them do better and realize even though they are wrong that doesn't make you right. And that's a difficult thing to accept. 
And we don't just come to that realization on our own. It takes sanctification. It takes the washing of the word. It also takes the acceptance of the reality that the Bible says that it is the wicked who take pleasure in the downfall of others. Sinners actually do that, not believers. The righteous, those of us who know Christ, have an obligation to model our our lives after him. And when Jesus was mocked, he never mocked in return. When he was ridiculed, he never ridiculed in return. He never reviled in return. For what was done to him, all he ever gave was love. How could he suffer such abuses at the hands of wicked people, many of who would never come to saving faith? How could he not abuse in return? Because he he knew what his purpose was. His purpose was to save those who were lost. And he couldn't do that by wasting his time on petty matters, getting everybody back, asking for retribution. And so in the same way, we have to focus on what the Lord has set before us. And if nothing else, we cannot damage our witness trying to get other folks back, trying to have such a smart mouth and a sarcastic attitude. It's not worth it. If the Lord has called you to be the means of sharing the faith and you're too busy throwing shade and sarcasm, then you are not doing what you have been called to do. That might be why you're so unhappy. James 3 and 10 says it better than I can. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. For the sake of Christ, we are going to have to watch what we say, yes, But even more deeply, we're going to have to mind what we feel. And more than anything, we have to believe in the justice and the work of God. And this this is what I'll leave you with. Just, Just some honesty. Yes, I know that people are low down. I know that people are dirty. I know that people are spiteful. They are hateful. They are mean. Liars. They are vindictive. I know that. I've experienced it. But we also have to know and believe that the God who knows everything, the Bible says, he sits high and he looks low. He sees and he knows and Our ultimate hope, no, it's not, God, okay, let my enemies just die and go to hell. That's not the hope. Our hope is, God, let my enemies or the people that I don't like as much, let let them repent. Let them actually change. Let them turn. And in that way, very humbly, we become intercessors on their behalf.
we become mediators for them, praying to God on their behalf. But even when we don't see the fruit, or if repentance never comes, and that those evildoers, as the scripture says, they have no future. And he tells us, listen, don't fret over it. Don't you worry yourself about what the person across the street is doing, what your cousin who you know ain't never been right, how they proc. Don't, don't fret about that. Let God handle them. And in the meantime, instead of praying on them, pray for them. Pray that the grace and the nature of the gospel that has changed you, that has redeemed you, will do the same for them. Because of all those things that I mentioned, haters and spitefulness and being low down and liars and mean and vindictive, the scripture tells me, and such were some of you. But you were washed. And that's the only thing that would change any of us. Let's pray. Lord, um, it is very easy for us to, to forget. To forget um, how the gospel has affected us. To forget that the gospel is what has ultimately changed and redeemed us. But God, it also may be the case that we know that the gospel changes. That we know that it redeems. That we know that it brings about forgiveness. And Lord, I'm asking you, as you search my heart, to search all of our hearts. God, maybe we are like Jonah and we don't want to admit it. We don't want to realize it that we know that the people we are angry with are going to repent. And so maybe we are withholding the gospel from them. God, maybe... We are holding grudges and resentment towards people that we are smiling in their face. We are cordial in them. We are speaking to them. We are even texting them and checking up on them. God, we, we may be doing all those things, going through all the motions, but you know the heart. God, every single one of us has an individual that we know, that we can pinpoint, maybe even more. And God, my prayer is that if we can't work up that courage to go into them yet and, and telling them in our heart that in the meantime that we would be an intercessor on their behalf, that we would be a mediator on their behalf, that we would pray for them and pray for repentance and change. That we would see that we are harboring things in our heart that we shouldn't. God, and that you would excavate our hearts and that you would change us. Lord, this is our prayer. As petty people, it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.